What's up, everybody? This is Agitator, episode 13. JDO and I are talking Toshiaki Toyota's 1998 debut feature, Porno Star. Funny story, we selected this movie at random, and turns out Third Window Films is releasing a Toshiaki Toyota box set. Limited number of copies are available on Blu-ray through them. Also, this week, the Third Window Films podcast dropped. Go check out episode one right now on any podcast platform that you choose and go snatch up that box set before it runs out onto the show. Boom. You good? We good. Got the, uh, right. Hi, everybody. the pants zipping up right there. Oh, were you pissing in the monster cup? Yeah, it was. Oh, right on. Are you not near a toilet? No. Nah. Yeah, I was, I was preparing. I got this on purpose. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Welcome to Agitator. My name is J. David Osborne, and that is Kelby Losak. Kelby, how are you? Uh, what's, what's that uh, What's that Japanese? T- wabi-sabi. We're doing wabi-sabi today. Doing, you doing know. wabi-sabi. Got a little bit of AC not working, a little bit of hay. It's first day of cool air, so it's like the universe is poking at me. Well, Mercury is in retrograde, which I blame all this kind of stuff on. I've been feeling just weird lately. I've been having a lot of intense dreams, and it is that summer turning into fall feeling that kind of makes everything more clear but also more more dire. I quit I quit Twitter, man. And I think I'm actually done with Twitter. And here's why. I actually feel sick when I log on to Twitter now. It's like an immediate thing. I'll read like five posts and my stomach starts to hurt. Unless you're uh, talking to rappers, I don't see the point of social media cuz that's like all they talk over and uh that's the yeah, that's the only reason I get or I keep the shit. Twitter just makes me want to commit murders. Like, yeah, I can't actually go scroll the timeline, or I will literally just want to kill somebody. It's just so much dumb shit. But that's what it's designed for. Lucas sent us that video. Did you watch that dead internet theory video? Oh yeah, I saved it because like I got a few minutes in. But yeah, it's pretty good. I mean, the guy is definitely a salesman, so he sells you at the beginning of the video. I'm going to tell you something that blows your mind. (laughs) And the thing that he's telling you that's going to blow your mind is like, I feel like shit everybody knows, which is that everything is controlled by algorithms. 60% of all internet traffic is bots. Uh, There was one interesting fact in there that I didn't know, and that is that DARPA had a program called LifeLog, which the goal of it was to log every aspect of a person's life down to the finest detail in order to be able to control them and track them and shit like that and some people some like civil libertarians got in their feelings about life log existing and my son is just going to town on this bottle by the way can you hear that that yeah Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's because he's got he's it's because he's got his fingers he's trying to suck on his fingers at the same time as his bottle and it's creating this amazing noise I love that every single episode of this show just has something that will make people turn it off within five seconds. <laughs> They're just like, what the fuck is that? It's like an echo. It's like an echo. Uh, our interview with Infinity is fine, but it, you know, it's good. It's over Skype, so who knows what that's like. Noise snobs are going to be upset about that, probably. Um, but what was I saying? Oh yeah, so LifeLog went offline on February fourth, two thousand and four, or February second, two thousand and four, which was the exact same day that that Facebook launched. So they were basically like, "Oh yeah, we shut that down. That doesn't exist anymore." Coincidentally, Facebook is now online. And who works for Facebook? Oh, coincidentally, a lot of people who worked on LifeLog. Uh, um, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, it's all designed to gather information, and. Basically, anytime you go to quit social media, there are people who are like, oh, yeah, but, you know, I wish I didn't have to, but my publisher forces me to. And it's like, bitch, you sold, like, five books this year. Like, and your your publisher is somebody who 
runs their operation out of their basement which no no shade to that whatsoever because that's what we do too uh-huh, uh-huh. but now if anybody but you're, you're, <laughs> tells me your publisher, i have to be on the internet i'm be like no 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 that's that's ridiculous so anyway so i'm off of that and today we're talking about 1998's porno star directed by toshiata toyota uh, I've also seen it as 99. This is a weird thing about movies. I think they, the dates get confusing because there's kind of an initial release, a Japanese release, and then I guess a worldwide release. So I, maybe Porno Star came out 99 in America, but 98 in Japan. Anyway, we're talking about Porno Star today. Yeah, and we're going to have to uh, just talk about the movie because... I found nothing about it. Yeah, um, I found I didn't really find any cool, interesting facts about the movie, but I did take notes while I was watching it, which is the first time I've done this. Um, so I took notes, and I actually I have a Tom Ness quote from his review on Midnight Eye that uh, we can get to towards the end of it, but that I think really demonstrates not just Tom Mess's shortcomings in his reviews, but the shortcomings of reviews in general. I think I know which quote um, you're talking about. Because, yeah, that was one yeah. of the only things I could find on it, too. Do you want to do the description on this one, or you want me to do it? Oh, so this might be interesting. So, did you watch it with subtitles? I did, yes. I did not. So, Ooh, so this might be interesting. We'll see if I can summarize this movie where I could understand nothing that they were saying. Um... That's dope. Okay, let's go. So, we've got a guy uh, starting off on a train. He gets off in somewhere in Tokyo, right? Shibuya. Shibuya, yeah. So he gets off in Shibuya, and he's, uh, like, shoving little kids to the ground and stuff. And he's just, like, bloodthirsty for Yakuza. He's this, like, disaffected young adult, either autistic or psychotic or both and just doesn't feel like yakuza are needed and tries going on a murder spree he ends up falling in with a gang of yakuza who the the leader of which is told to you know take care of him get rid of him and then go kill a rival gang leader he show you know they beat him up they shove him in the trunk but the thing is this yakuza gang leader type he uh what's called long hair long hair is uh kind of disaffected himself uh feels hopeless and cynical about the whole his role in the yakuza in, in life whatever and um mm-hmm. he ends up letting autistic boy out of the trunk and sharing a cigarette with him and they form this odd bond and autistic boy ends up hanging out with them going around with them uh antagonizing the rival yakuza gang they are sent to collect a cd player full of uh microdots of acid by some english-speaking uh foreigners paul wall paul wall and eric andre (laughs) that was amazing i was like what in the fuck is yeah um yeah that was a turn i wasn't expecting and the acid too that was interesting i was like okay they're mixing it they're they're mixing it up because it seems like japanese movies around this time are always into like meth and shit Mm -hmm. which is also in this movie though there is some meth is that what they're freebasing in that one scene yeah meth or crack yeah that was it looked like meth at least right right so they that gets botched because autistic boy kills the two uh, the drug dealers, and they take the CD player full of drugs. But then, unrelated to anything else, our 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 hero autistic boy he go, he finds a group of skateboarders uh, while he's like yeah. chilling in the park, and uh, the skate chick comes up and is like, "Hey, come skate." And he sucks, but he, like, hangs out with these skaters. 
and she. By the way, it's really funny that that it's supposed to be impressive, but she just does these dumb little girl skateboard tricks that <laughs> are like not impressive at all. Yeah, but you know the audience's impression is supposed to be like, "What? Girls can skate." And we all know girls can't skate, right? I mean, yeah, there's no, um, there's no kick flips. There's, <laughs> she just like uh, flips the board from one, like facing one direction to the other, and it's like, whoa. Yeah, yeah she does. What do you call that? What do you call that? You call that a, a switcheroo? I think it's a switcheroo. <laughs> I think it's a switcheroo. Yeah, that's yeah. a man. We should have had Corey on this episode. You're like, what? Yeah, we could have. <laughs> what was that move? <laughs> Just call everything a kickflip and spell it as a... What is it that he doesn't like when it's two words or one word? When it's two words, because that's... Well, that, just spell it that way over and over again, just to get under his skin. A kickflip? Did she do it? <laughs> a kickflip. A kickflip. <laughs> Can you do a kickflip? <laughs> Anyhow, so yeah, so he's with the, he's with the, the skater punks and learning, learning all of his tricks. And then, and then what happens? Tell me, the, tell me what happens in the rest of this movie. <laughs> and then she uh, convinces him to, I guess he tells her, again, I couldn't hear what they were saying or understand what they were saying. So um, she speaks a bunch of Japanese that I guess means, hey, you're with Yakuza? Let's go steal their drugs because I need money. And um, Nope, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, that's what I got from it. So... <laughs> So if you if you can't understand what they're saying, what happens is she convinces him to go steal the drugs and they go take the CD player or she convinces him to take the CD player. Maybe she just wants to listen to music and uh, they go steal the CD player. She decks one of the gang members off the elevator when they're uh, when they go to the hangout spot. And uh, you might want to take it from here. I can't remember the order things happened after this. Well, we could actually pause and just kind of talk about the first half of the movie first, because I think you did a you did a really good job, and it kind of goes to show how impressionistically filmed the whole thing is. There's not a ton of dialogue in this movie, and it is very slow paced. The hero or the protagonist, Arano, uh, he doesn't he doesn't talk at all, really. Unless he's gonna say some autistic shit, he t- he tells Yakuza they're useless. He says that a lot. Mm-hmm. There's some really interesting. When you get a chance, watching it with subtitles would probably you'd probably think it was cool because the the dialogue is bonkers. It's just completely off the wall. There's a scene where Arano and Kamijo, Kamijo's long hair guy, are sitting on a couch, and the dialogue goes like uh, Kamijo asks him like basically what he's what he's doing, like why he chose to stab people. And Arano says something like, you don't know? He says, no, I don't know. He's like, well, when you know, then you'll actually know. And he says, what does that make? What does that mean? He's like, well, when I know, you'll know. <laughs> and then they start talking about like, and then they start talking about epitaphs. He's like, the autistic guy's like, do you know what an epitaph is? And then they go, uh, I guess, yeah. It's like on a headstone. He's like, when you can read the epitaph, then you'll understand. So it's all this like really cryptic, weird dialogue in the movie um people are constantly talking in haikus and poems and then there's there's the occasional bit of dialogue that actually makes sense but the movie has a lot of surreal stylistic flourishes throughout it you know there's like a scene where it's raining knives um there's a lot of like there's a lot of very interesting touches in that way but yeah i mean you got it you got it mostly correct um the the girl scene is much more, I guess, com- so the girl really wants to go to Fiji. She wants to, uh, because there's something called the Grand Summer of Love that's supposed to happen in 1999. And so she wants to go to Fiji and watch the sunset. So first she asks Kamijo about this when they're in bed. And then uh, and then she tries to get uh, Arano to take her to Fiji, but he's autistic uh, and doesn't understand. So she basically abandons him. She like tells him to wait on a corner, and she'll be right back. And so she takes the drugs and then goes to a club and eats a bunch of acid, I guess. But then she's acting all crazy and shit, um, which is like not not really typical 
acid behavior in my experience, but who knows. Um, then, uh, oh right, I said we were gonna stop there, right, okay. So one character who's great is the five-star pussycat. Yeah. Who just comes out of nowhere. Yeah. Like this red-haired uh, corset woman. Like the camera just lingers on her titties for for ages and ages. Which, you know, I mean, it's not, it's not bad. It's not. <laughs> but she kind of comes out of nowhere and she's this complete cartoon character who's all in leather. And I totally forget what her role in the movie is except to get stabbed in the head at the end. Which made me cheer. Like where uh, when Arano like flips his little knife out and just like zings it into her forehead, I was like, "Yes, this is what I want from movies." Yeah, that was tight. Um, she, I, th- I got the impression that she might have been uh, the like main plug for the acid because she shows up first at that scene with the right, dead Paul Wall right. and dead Eric Andre. Right. Right. Where I like that some of the only words in uh, in English, because these guys both are, I guess, supposed to be American or whatever, um, they basically they basically end up getting shot in the head. But before they get shot in the head, they point at Camillo, and the guy's like, "This guy's a faggot," <laughs> and that's like the only English dialogue in the movie. Yeah. It's yeah. Like, Damn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they're like, how do you say stingy bastard in Japanese? And then they start calling him stingy bastard. <laughs> right. Hold on, give me one second. We're going to pause. You don't actually have to pause. But I'm going to pause for just a second to talk to my son. Oh, we can leave this rolling. Son, I'm trying to talk about 1999's Porno Star <laughs> with my co-host of the Agitator podcast, Kelby Losek. Now, you are in your walker. You have more toys than a single baby could know what to do with. Look at this one. It even rattles. That's crazy. <laughs> oh, you got the hiccups is what it is. Yeah, hiccups piss me off too. Look at this mirror. Who's that handsome boy? That's you. Big handsome. <laughs> My son is so handsome. He is. A good looking boy. He is. Looks a lot like his mom. Uh, Shut the fuck up, bro. You know he looks like me. He does, actually. <laughs> he really does. He makes weird faces, and he looks... Every time he looks serious, I think he looks like Rios. Yep, that's exactly it, because his little Chinese eyes come out when uh-huh. that happens. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And, and that's that's when he looks like Rios. Um, so in 1999's Porno Star... Well, first of all, I want to say that I loved the shit out of this movie. It felt so refreshing. It's such a great mood piece. When you go to the little Yakuza compound that they have, their little apartment, Toyota just fucking nails that. Because every low-level thug whose house I've been in, no matter where you are in the world, I guess it's all the same, Mm -hmm. which is kind of sort of semi-IKEA furniture, a fish tank. Yeah. Yeah. and just like the ugliest decor you could think of and like bare walls, no art on any of the walls. Um, Kamijo, the long hair guy, funny story. He actually was what's called a Chinpira, which is a low level Yakuza. So he got cast because he was actually one of these dudes on the street, which is funny because he looked to me like the most actor, actor type guy in the whole, in the whole movie. Yeah, um, but that that's actually interesting, an interesting callback to some, like a point we've made before uh, about realism and how like mm-hmm. reality is kind of like weird and random, not like gritty and shit. So yeah. he doesn't even act, even as like the leader of the group. He doesn't act all badass and like solemn and shit. Like he's kind of just cool and whatever, he's- you know. Yeah, he's meant to be portrayed as a little bit of a clown, you know. His decisions don't normally happen right. He he owns that club, that karaoke bar that they're in at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And he is not actually a Yakuza. He refuses to go into the Yakuza business because he promised his father he would stay out of it. His father just has just died when the movie starts. Because he keeps getting that phone call that he keeps getting is from his mother asking him to, you know, come to the requiem, come to the funeral. And he keeps saying, I'm busy, I'm busy. I got stuff to do. 
Um, so he promised his father that he wouldn't be a Yakuza. So he keeps saying no to old uh, classic Yakuza actor guy whose name I can't remember. Uh, who, again, they have this these perfect touches with the Yakuza boss's office too because there's kind of boxes everywhere. It's kind of seems like the, the back storeroom of a retail business in the mall. But he's got this chair that's covered in fur and hair. Uh-huh. So it's it's this... It's this, I want to say white trash, but they're not white, but like this white trash idea of what classy is that I think, I think just gets nailed in this movie. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, it's that like, it sort of shows you through the material, like why, like the attraction to this lifestyle for a lot of people is like these things. It's like the same thing with rappers who'd be like, they live in a shitty ass studio apartment and in like the worst neighborhood of Houston, but they'll have like the most expensive watch that's like all blinged out and like yep. these you right. know swangas on their car and shit. The main character Arano, you'll find this interesting. He was actually a comedian. Um, he did something called Manzai comedy, and I looked it up on YouTube. Apparently, Manzai comedy is very popular in Japan. I watched it. I didn't think that shit was funny. Uh, there was not a single instance of anyone calling each other gay. So it just didn't work for me. Is that but even comedy? Manzai, it's not comedy unless you're making jokes about homosexuals and minorities, in my opinion. But that's, you know, it's different strokes for different folks. Manzai comedy has two people on stage. And the whole point of it is that one person is really stupid and keeps making mistakes and then the other person corrects all of their mistakes. And I thought that was hilarious that Japanese comedy is just correcting people's manners. <laughs> They're like, this is hilarious. This guy doesn't understand how to, you know, order toast correctly. Um, so they, so they was... do have our sense of humor. It's just directed at a different group of people. <laughs> Right, right, exactly. So basically, he was this uh, semi-famous comedian, or at least successful comedian. He has this fantastic face. He looks like a gargoyle, right? Uh, he actually looks pretty scary. He's this kind of ugly motherfucker, but compelling. Compel. I want to see more compellingly ugly protagonists because we have uh, Ron Perlman, who is compellingly ugly, but he's turned into such like a anti-Donald Trump shit lib that it's hard to watch his movies anymore for me because I've seen Ron Perlman on Twitter so much being like hey Donnie you're going to jail pal and you know it's just all this cringy bullshit you know it really I can't watch Hellboy or Blade 2 anymore nah I can still watch those movies I can definitely still watch Blade (laughs) 2 those movies are tight Yeah, and he has that great line in Blade 2 where he's like let me ask you a question can you blush that's so bizarrely racist that it's right up my alley um but uh but more compellingly ugly protagonists are are big i feel like i get lost in movies when i'm looking at timothy chalamet or uh who's the kid who played spider-man um tom holland tom holland seems like a perfectly nice guy he did that rihanna dance that rio showed it to me she's like look this is everything and it's like tom holland wearing a corset dancing to uh rihanna's umbrella and i was like uh cool (laughs) but he wants to be james bond and i'm i can't i don't see it no i don't see these really pretty daniel craig was a good james bond because i i understand that women think that he's handsome, but he doesn't register to me as, as handsome. He looks, he looks like a, I don't know, it's like kind of like a monkey, you know? Yeah, yeah. He he's, yeah. No, I, I get it. He's wrinkled and chiseled, weird. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. yeah so I want to see more of that. Is my point? I, I kind of got off track, but I want to see more shit like that. I was thinking that when they were wanting Idris Elba to play 007, I was like, but no, we got to wait. See, I didn't actually, I grew up with the Pierce Brosnan ones, but I didn't care for yeah, me them too. Yeah. because yeah. I don't know. I like Goldeneye. 
Goldeneye's tight. Goldeneye's just classic, and we played the fuck out of that video game, you know, and shit. But, like, yeah. uh, I think Sean Connery was, a, like, the real classic because he isn't very attractive to me. Like, right. I don't get it. I don't think he's good looking. Right. But he's interesting. I like that looking. interview that he did with uh, Barbara Walters where he's, like, talking about when a woman gets out of line. It's like sometimes you just gotta give him a slap. <laughs> I was like, "Damn, Sean!" <laughs> I'm method acting. Yeah, yeah. Oh, damn! My son just took a big shit. Keep talking, bro. I gotta wipe shit off my son's. Oh boy! Oh dang! Should have never started feeding you people food. <laughs> damn, this shit is all over the place, bro. Oh man. Uh... Yeah, I'm used to it at this point, though. I'm used to it. I, I do this probably three or four times a day at this point. So. Yeah, whether it's him or yourself. Or or myself. That's true. I do wipe my own ass. That's pretty gay. <laughs> you remember that? You remember when there was, like, some kind of troll or whatever, I think, on right-wing Twitter was, like, it's act- was it Baked Alaska who was, like, it's gay to wipe your ass? I, that was a trend that was going that on. That shit spiraled so fast that it even made it into a movie, like Deadpool Two. Really? Yeah, Deadpool Two no made that joke, where uh, really when Josh Brolin uh, time travels, I guess, to our time mm-hmm. or whatever, he okay. sh- shows up in a field where two truckers are uh, just chilling, cracking beers, and one of them is mm-hmm. like. Uh, yeah, man, I'll, I don't do that shit. That's gay. And the other one's like, but it's your own ass. <laughs> oh, that's great. I haven't seen Deadpool 2. I like Deadpool 1, though. It's pretty funny. It's uh, a terrible movie that has some really great jokes in it. So, yeah. You know. yeah. Well, that's kind of Deadpool 1 also. I mean, it's not really good. It's just, you know. I think I've talked on the show before that I like the part where he gets shot in the butt. I yeah. That was funny. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. I'm depositing this disgusting diaper in this bin. But the Arano, the main character, um, you can tell that he's actually a comedian because of all the physical activity that he does. He takes falls really well. Like when he keeps falling off the skateboard, um, which we should also talk about the wild tonal shifts in this movie. And it goes from Yakuza gangster movie. And then, as you said, once he encounters these skate punks being menaced by a salaryman and kind of scares the the salaryman off with a knife, it literally just takes 15 or 20 minutes to become a late 90s, almost like it reminded me of Kids, the movie Kids. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. yeah. With uh, less AIDS and crack use and stuff. Exactly. Exactly. None of that. None of that super nasty stuff, but still similar. Um, Which is funny for a the, movie called Porno Star to not really have any nasty stuff in it. Okay, this is something... So this movie was retitled Tokyo Rampage when it was first released in uh, in the U.S. Every review that I saw of this says, Tokyo Rampage is such a better title for this movie because it's what actually happens. He's in Tokyo and he goes on a rampage. Tokyo Rampage sounds like some kind of like corny Arnold Schwarzenegger action flick, right? Mm -hmm. Like where the bodies are just piling up. Porno Star is, it's it's obtuse and enigmatic and has nothing to do with the plot at all. I searched high and low to find out why Toyota called this Porno Star, if there was something lost in translation that I was missing and I couldn't find anything but it's such a non sequitur of a title because there is zero porn uh, and zero porn stars in the whole movie. But I just, I really thought it fit because it was so kind of quirky and out of place. Yeah, and it's kind of like whenever I did feel like it fit for that reason and for like how, you know, th- this uh series of movies we've been watching from like the late 90s uh japan i i relate like a lot because it's the time period that i grew up in as well and yep um, dude i get so horny when i see girls uh, in these movies wearing 
like Jinkos, which there is a Jinko spotting uh-huh. within like three minutes of the movie starting. Uh-huh. But like you see a girl in a spaghetti strap wearing Jinkos, and it makes me feel horny in the way that I was when I was like 12 or 13, which is hopelessly horny. Like, God, I'm never going to fuck her. But man, I want to. And as a 34-year-old man, I, who actually at this point still can't fuck him, uh, you know, it just it, it brings that all back to me. Yeah, in the uh, I, I was thinking of the more depressed, cynical standpoint, but yeah, the, hey, there's that angle too. Horniness and depression go hand in hand. That's true. Oh. What you crying about, big baby boy? What's the matter? Did I stop paying attention to you? What you don't understand is that Kelby and I have to do this podcast so that we can make a million dollars. Because we're going to get a deal with iHeartRadio. It's our... We're going to be on right after Charlemagne the God. Mm-hmm. We're, we're jumping off of the free platforms and uh, we're accepting that, yeah. that million dollar contract. From Sirius XM. <laughs> for South... <sighs> what, what if we got like a contract for the shittiest platform? Just be like... SoundCloud offered us a million dollars. No, Pandora. Pandora. <laughs> Pandora is trying to become the new podcast king. Offered get, us a million. Get paid a million dollars by Pandora because we have a couple hundred listeners. <laughs> and no one ever like, listens again. We're at a we're at a business meeting with Pandora and they're like, So we're looking at your numbers and they're pretty insane. We have no idea how you managed to get two hundred people to listen to your show. <laughs> <laughs> it would make sense um, though. They'd be like, uh <laughs> we'd be like, You're impressed by two hundred? No, no, no. We listen to your show. And we're impressed that you managed to get 200 people to listen to this. (laughs) It's good. Yeah, it's good. We have a, we have a handicap. If we were good talkers or socially adept, really we would have, you know, 20,000. But considering all of our disabilities, it's pretty good. It's not bad for a short bus podcast. Yeah, you know, not at all. And that's that's our that's also our uh, get out of jail free with everything that we do here is uh if you try to come for us you're just being ableist you're being ableist we can't <laughs> dude I was help. cracking up so hard at the Grant episode it's so funny that, that everybody is like echoing and weird and we can pass that off as a oh it's a stylistic thing but no no. It's just because just because of how shitty the recording was, and fucking Grant had his his echo on, so it's like, hey Grant, how's it going? He's like, doing pretty good, 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 good. <laughs> yeah, that was amazing. I love, I love that shit. I was just like, you know, his his girl was probably recording some shit, and he just left all the settings on. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, because she's a singer, so you have to have that that echo to sound better. Uh-huh. Um, that's a really good point. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, Grant just straight up was like, "Baby, can I use your? Can I get in the studio?" And she's like, "Yeah, sure. Just make sure that you fix all the settings." And Grant already forgot because he's high, <laughs> so he's just like, "Okay." Um, what are some other things? Oh, okay. So one of the uh, team members I recognized immediately. One of the yakuza in this low-level gang, the guy who's really horny. Uh, and he's like, I got, oh, you wouldn't know that he said this, but there's a point where he's like, I got four girls waiting for me back at the place. That oh, guy. I think I know exactly which scene he said that because I was thinking, is it when they're about to put him in the trunk or they already put him in the trunk? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So Mr. Uh, yeah, Mr. Clean Fade, he, uh, mm-hmm. it, it was just in his body language. I was like, I had that thought in that scene. I was like, I kind of get the gist of what they're saying, and I'm not even... He's talking about there's there's some girls? Yeah, yeah. That's really interesting. We really should do a movie, maybe next week, where we don't where we don't watch subtitles at all. And we just try to piece it together. That might be our thing. It's like, we watch these movies, and we have no connecting threads at all. Or one of us does, or something like that. 
But that guy was in Itchy the Killer. He was part of Gigi's cleanup crew. I knew I recognized his ass from somewhere. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Now he did look familiar. And uh spiky blonde hair dude looked kind of familiar too, but I didn't know if that was just his hair making me like, you know, make this connection. Mm-hmm. There's always a spiky blonde haired uh Yakuza member. Right. Right. That's the sign that they're crazy. Uh-huh. I'm watching Squid Game with Rios right now and the bad guy has a snake tattoo on his face. And uh, I thought that they were going to switch it up and make him kind of good. You know how shows do that sometimes where you think that there's a bad guy, but then they get humanized or whatever. But no, he's just like straight up the bad guy. And I was thinking about it because in Korea, Koreans would not be ready for a person with a face tattoo to be the hero (laughs) of a movie. Yeah. like It's just, it's so out of pocket to have a to have tattoos in general they straight up edit out tattoos on uh daytime tv in korea damn because they're uh yeah i miss when tattoos looked dangerous now you yeah see they don't it. anymore no I, I i don't care like even i'm so disaffected by it all that uh even if you if you're a cartel dude then like well i've looked those people in the eye you can still tell but Mm-hmm. Uh, any any motherfucker at Starbucks or something who's got like face tattoos, I just like instantly think, bro, I could kick your ass. <laughs> yeah, you're right. not scary at all. No, no, face tattoos are no longer frightening. Which is funny how quickly that stuff gets assimilated into culture and becomes completely normal. It's kind of emo now. Like, now I see right. people with tattoos yeah. all over their face, and I'm just like, what happened? What's wrong? <laughs> right. Are you sad? Are you sad? Um, what was I going to say? Right. So, in the second half of the movie is when the rampage really comes out of the Tokyo rampage. And Arano, up to this point, has been carrying around this gym bag, and it clinks and clinks, and sure enough, inside the bag are just a bunch of knives. He's just carrying knives around because he, uh, at the beginning of the movie, he, he, like you said, he just has this unexplained compulsion to kill Yakuza and we never find out why, uh, there is no backstory to him. He's just kind of this blunt instrument. Um, so he takes out these, basically there's a rival Yakuza boss to Kamijo who is, you know, not paying to go to his karaoke bar, and the old man wants him dead. But Arano kills him, uh, not not for Kamijo, but just because the guy's a Yakuza, and he needs to die. But that scene is insane, because he stabs him, like, 25 times yeah. with different knives. Like, just and opens up the bag and just sinks them all in. <laughs> sinks them into it, yeah. And this is where I think that... The actor who played Arano, the comedian, where his physical acting is so important, right? Because there's, um, I'm trying to think of what it was I was watching the other day, where a character punched another, oh, it was actually Squid Game. There's a point where the main character punches somebody, and it looks so fake. Like, it's not believable that he actually hit the guy, because the the physical action is all wrong. Mm -hmm. Um but Arano in this movie, the way that he like rears back and like kind of shoves the knives in, you can feel it, and it's all being, it's all being transmitted through the actor's ability to to communicate with his body. Yeah, no, that's that's something that um, in this whole movie just felt so great. Uh, the same way that like. Uh, a lot of Tsukamoto's movies feel like they just feel like a movie. Like this movie is, it, mm-hmm. it meanders, it, uh, it spirals. <laughs> to call back the mm-hmm. book. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Yeah. And it, but like the point of a lot of these movies is just they're movies. It's like an exercise yeah. in filmmaking and in acting. And then it's like, mm-hmm. why would you tell a story with film well let's utilize all the aspects we have at our disposal with film and you know that's why we're doing it just to make a movie 
and uh yeah yeah that physicality is something that is lost a lot in modern day stuff um or i mean it's even it's impressive whenever you see it because you know there's classic shit where they (laughs) they're just punching air and uh Mm -hmm. but the way that like say like uh black panther will like spin kick someone and then they fly off the roof or whatever i'm like he could kick me like that and i would just be standing there still i'd just be like what the mm-hmm. fuck was that ballerina shit yeah um yeah whereas this yeah no the stabbing especially was like oh god yep that's how you stab somebody yeah. <laughs> it looks like it hurts you know it actually there's there's physical contact it's bodies in motion it's the kind of thing that you know. Obviously, there's no there's no CGI in this movie. Well, there actually is CGI in this movie in a in a few key hallucinatory scenes, like the rain of knives and shit like that. Oh yeah. Um, the the soundtrack is great. It's shoegaze. It sounds like My Bloody Valentine. In fact, I literally thought some of the tracks in this were My Bloody Valentine songs, but it's a band called Dip, which I guess did a lot of Toyota's movies, but it gives it a great feeling to it we're talking about a lot of stuff that comes up in this tom mess quote so i'm just going to go ahead and read it so that we can talk about why he's wrong (laughs) um tom mess said at the end of his review for porno star on midnight eye porno star is not a flawless film but it's one of those debut features that while being noticeably underdeveloped nevertheless shows a great amount of promise in its director Although the style at times veers too much into manufactured hipness, parentheses, the music-led slow-motion sequences go on for way too long, end parentheses, porno star belies a, de- a deft and effective handling of visual symbolism and a talent for directing actors. As Blue Spring in particular proved, Toshiaka Toyota has certainly made good on the promise. Now, okay, here's the thing. <laughs> I'm not... I don't think that movies are above criticism at all, right? Um, But as we've said before on this podcast, we believe much more in criticism that has to do with vibes and whether something is vibing on the level that it's supposed to or not. It's sort of art review mysticism. There are a few things that Mez says here that that really bothers me. Number one, being noticeably underdeveloped. What does that what does that mean? I'm what did sure. he what did he <laughs> want to develop? Yeah. Like what what was there to develop in this movie? Were we supposed to know more about the characters? Why? What is <laughs> you know, I mean the whole point of the main character at least is that he's a blank slate and the rest of these guys aren't necessarily not, nobody in this movie is a human being, right? Uh and then um no, the underdeveloped bothered me. Oh, and then, of you know, the style at times veers too much into manufactured hipness. Wait, so you're saying that you, you're you bothered by the fact that this guy was trying to do something cool? He was trying to make his movie cool? And, too cool. you know, and, and the music sequences go on for way too long. I'm sorry, was the was the little baby bored? did the baby get bored for a few minutes i'm sorry you can't sit back and listen to a fucking cool ass crunchy guitar riff for two minutes for two fucking really two fucking minutes you can't do it usually by the way usually these riffs are playing while there's a very enigmatic image on screen you know it's during like the reign of knives or uh, a character is sitting on like this huge hill at the top of which is the yakuza compound with like heat shimmering and them just kind of walking and arano walking up in this big school shooter anorak that he has on you know Mm -hmm. um but like i don't i don't understand like they, they go on for two but i feel like i go into a movie and i'm just like in the director's hands and all the director has to do is just vibe so it's, I guess it sounds like we're shitting on this guy for having criticism, but I just think that film criticism, as far as I understand it, it's, it's just wrong. Yeah, it's like how we see uh, book criticism is always to um, don't want to step on anybody's toes, 
trying to get a you know a, a deal themselves film criticism is always like you did it wrong there's a list of rules i went in with uh-huh and you didn't point. hit those it's that uh yeah yeah the closest i can think of that, like i've said it before but that video game criticism like our you know every video game review i've ever read has those little check boxes and it's like did it mm-hmm. did it meet this on the graphics did it do this with the gameplay and i'm like you, people make things for different reasons like you can't mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, no, the, to which the nerd would say, the nerd would say, well, there's no excuse though for ignoring the it, no. But there's ab- you absolutely are allowed to ignore whatever you don't want to put in your movie, absolutely. Yeah, and also, how shitty is it that you're? I don't know. It just feels like your enjoyment of a movie becomes handed to you by somebody else. Somebody else decides what's good and bad. And what film techniques work and don't work. Well, you can see it's never any surprise which movies are nominated for Oscars. It's like, these ones ticked all the boxes. And you see the movie, or you can even see the trailer, because I don't watch those bullshit movies. You can, like, yeah. see the trailer and be like, yeah, that's going to win an Academy Award. And yeah. it's like, imagine being the people who enjoy those. Mm-hmm. Like, you mm-hmm. could just There's a... be given this shit, and it's just like, yes, feed me, daddy. Like right right there's a scene in this where the the chinpira the low-level yakuza are having a party at their house and it's one of the most surreal and dreamlike scenes i've ever seen without trying too hard so they're in a hot tub it seemed to me like the hot tub was in the floor though surrounded by carpet which immediately brought to mind a kind of oniric dreamlike atmosphere uh-huh. you see all those pictures on on twitter that are like liminal spaces uh it had that kind of vibe to it yeah and they're in this hot tub and there's naked girls naked chubby girls by the way not like supermodels or whatever but they got these chubby girls there's apples in the hot tub and then there's uh i think tomatoes all over the floor yeah just tomatoes everywhere <laughs> and and uh, uh anaro is sitting on the couch by himself lighting matches and just tossing lit matches onto the carpet. And something about that scene felt so true. Even though I've never been in exactly that situation, right? With like naked girls and stuff. Uh, but. Just naked dudes. Just naked dudes. And it wasn't exactly. an in ground hot tub, it was more like a kiddie pool. It was more like a kiddie pool, yeah, full of semen. Um, <laughs> but. You know, when you have a vibe like that in a movie, I'm like, okay, this guy is, he's creating an hour and a half of, of a vibe and feelings that you're supposed to get. And it doesn't really matter what happens. There's a skeleton of something that happens. There is a climax where everybody gets stabbed. But so what? You know, <laughs> it's just one of the funniest scenes, by the way, is the skater kid that he's been protecting um the he basically saves the kid yet again from a salaryman who's yelling at him and this little skater kid says why do you always use your your knife to scare people you're supposed to use words kamijo always tells us that you know let your enemy win now and you can win later and then amaro or anaro says uh are you a yakuza and the little kid says yeah i'm a yakuza youth and he immediately stabs the kid in the leg. And <laughs> <laughs> see, I was, I was curious what was going on there. And then I figured the kid was some kind of gang related whenever he shows up with the whole fucking skate crew. And they're like going to beat Anaro's ass. Um, mm-hmm. But in that scene without subtitles, you know, he comes up and it's like, I don't know. I felt like the kid was shaming him for doing that and like calling him retarded or whatever and the dude's just like fuck you kid and stabs him too <laughs> yeah the, they call they call Inara special throughout the movie um which I wonder what the actual Japanese word that's being used is and how kind the, the translators were but there is actually another handicapped guy in the movie which I thought was interesting that the big boss had his own kind of like mute 
But like, yeah. he's a guy who has like, but he has retard strength because he can like beat everybody's ass, but he can't talk or something. It was really interesting that there was this dynamic going on with like special needs people and the Yakuza. And like the special needs people being used as weapons almost and just aimed at each other. Because essentially the two special people at the end kind of end up killing each other. Uh, well, Inara is like wounded and we don't really know what happens. But he stabs the, uh, the, the second, in, like the, the kind of, we'll call him the special weapon. Uh, he stabs <laughs> the, the special weapon through the throat. And I, I did really think that that was interesting. And maybe, not to get too Tom Mess commentary symbolism on this, but maybe a commentary on just the Yakuza in general, that they're kind of hiring the people whose society... I guess leaves behind, or he's just straight up saying that if you're in the Yakuza, you're, you're retarded. Uh, <laughs> Which is great. No, both of those points are great. The whole I'll play the I'll play the Buddhist monk here and be like these things are equal. Um, yeah. But really, like real talk though, and that I like that commentary is coming out of this because it's not that like I'm not against commentary by any means. Um, it's just I think that shit will come out naturally when you are mm. commenting on something like when you start putting pieces you start putting the ingredients in the soup and it's gonna smell a certain way like right you know it's it's going to be what it is you you know you can't you really can't make something without there being some sort of commentary but it's when you try to make the commentary that you lose you lose traction of of anything actually interesting like Mm -hmm. um you know just drilling at home but like the the vibe is all that really matters 